informative radio for the Sunshine State. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. No doubt about it, we're risking our lives to preserve a useless member. I need protection. We're in danger as well, you know. So this is the famous Beatles. We need protection. And you shall have it. How long do you think you'll last? Get me protection. The ring. She's not wearing the sacrificial ring. There's more here than meets the eye. Oh, in the name of science, I demand that ring. They expect me to cut my finger off. So, the police are extended, giving the famous protection for which we are justly proud in this country, for a finger, eh? Hands up. Hands up. Quick, quick. Will John live? to sleep in his pit again? Will Paul ever get back his electric organ? Will George be reunited with his ticker tape machine? And Ringo, will he ever play the drums again? Like operations, give you a sense of outlook, don't they? Oh, it won't work. I don't expect it to work. Made in America, you see. You're another failure, aren't you, scientist? Ringo! The idea, as I see it, is that we expand the molecules and the ring grows bigger and it drops off. Voltage. Voltage? Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. We need protection. Give me protection. What's this? A season ticket. Oh, like a lot of seasoning in my soup. With a ring like that, I could, dare I say it, rule the world. I didn't encourage that wing. Hey, I'll cut this one out. Oh, shocking. Hello, this is the annoying Jay Leno, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Okay, listeners, welcome to you tuned in to Nostalgic Video and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers at Google Tan, talk1340.com, where you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And check out nostalgicradioandcars.com, where you can see all 670-some-odd shows. Good evening, guys. How you doing? Hey, we got a real exciting show for you tonight. we got a very special guest coming on. We'll bring him on here in a few minutes. In the meantime, let me give you a little quick update. Uh, if you want to find out where all the car shows in town, definitely check out in town, actually in the state of Florida, check out floridacarshows.com. That's where all the stuff is that's taking place in, uh, in in our beautiful state of Florida. Some of the upcoming events, let's see, this weekend, well, this past weekend was the uh, HSR Fall Historics. This coming weekend is the Audrain Concourse and Motor Week up in Newport, Rhode Island. Next week is the uh, Barber Motorsports Motorcycle Show. The week after that, we've got the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival, and the week and the weekend after that, we have the uh, Dawsonville Moonshine Festival. So there's a lot of stuff coming up. Then we've got the Hilton Head concourses coming up. we got, let's see, SEMA. SEMA's coming up. That's the first week in November. And then I think two, three weeks into November, we also have the Macacken, or it's called the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals up in Rosemont, Illinois. And then we have the Palm Beach concourse in Palm Beach with our good friend Sydney Valen. So that's what you guys need to put on your bucket list. No, never mind your bucket list. That's stuff you need to do. Heck with the bucket list. But anyway, and then, of course, as we speak right now, Ringo Starr and his uh, all-star band is uh, performing at The Sound uh, at Coachman Park in downtown Clearwater. So, uh, obviously, we're here. So, nonetheless, I think what we're going to do to pay a little tribute to Ringo Starr, we're going to play a little music. So, let's uh, drop a needle in the groove and let's play a little uh, Ringo Starr. And we'll be right back with our special guest. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is an appraiser, a collector, a consultant, a historian. He is also the CEO of the Audrain Group, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the show my good friend, Donald Osborne. Donald, how are you this evening? I am terrific, Robert. It's great to be here. So, we got a big event coming up this weekend. Why don't you share with me, myself, and I, and all our listeners, uh, what this uh, amazing event is all about? Absolutely. This is the fourth uh, Audrain Newport Concours and Motor Week. Uh, although the event started back in 2019, we did not have a full event in 2020, but we did do a tour to commemorate it on the weekend that it would have been held. So this is our fifth year, but our fourth Audrain Newport Concours and Motor Week, and it is four days of automotive activities in and throughout the historic town of Newport, Rhode Island. Donald, what uh, what kind of brought this event to fruition? I mean, it is like you said, uh, Newport, Rhode Island is very historic. Um, uh, some amazing collections of mansions out there. Um, races back in the day, uh, tennis, obviously, uh, on and on and on. And I believe the Kennedys were even married in Newport, Rhode Island, if I remember correctly, at uh, the church, the Catholic yes, church. Yes, they downtown. were. They were married about a quarter of a mile from where I'm sitting in my office right now, and. Um, Robert, one of the things that, uh, that made this event inevitable uh, was the fact that Newport is a place that is very, very special. First of all, there are very few cities 
in North America that were founded in the 17th century. And Newport has been a center of art and commerce ever since. And uh, the folks who are uh, the founders and board members of the Audrain Automobile Museum, which was uh, started in October 2014, um, were in love with Newport and all it represented. And when I came on board as a consultant um, to the group in 2016, I quickly discovered that Newport was not only an extraordinary place, but a place that had a unique combination of what we have refined to uh, be history, luxury, and sport. You mentioned the International Tennis Hall of Fame. The first international golf tournament was held here in Newport. Of course, Newport is known worldwide as one of the sailing capitals of the world, and for a long time was the home of the America's Cup. And uh, also, there's polo, international polo in Newport, and, of course, cars. Um, people don't think of, of Newport and, and Rhode Island as a center of uh, cars, but American motorsport actually started here in Rhode Island. The very first circuit race ever was held in Cranston, Rhode Island. The first Vanderbilt Cup race was held right here in Newport in 1901. And, of course, one of the key parts of auto racing in the U.S. and motorsport enthusiasm in general, Willie K. Grant, Willie K. Grant, Willie K. Vanderbilt, uh, lived here in Newport. And uh, so he brought that entire spirit of early automobiling to this town, and the spirit of cars has never left Newport. So the, the way Newport lives its history makes it a natural home for an event like the Audrey Newport Concord and Motor Week, because it's not a place that sort of is a rebuilding of history where you've got great facades and people dressing up in costumes and enacting an old life. It's a place with historic buildings from the 18th century, 19th century. You mentioned the great mansions of the Gilded Age. But people make their lives here. They're making history every day. This is living history. And Newport just seems an absolutely natural place uh, to hold an event like this. And uh, so we here at the uh, Audrain Automobile Museum through the Adrain uh, Automobile Foundation, uh, sorry, the Adrain Museum Foundation, uh, decided that uh, we needed to do something here to bring this level of automotive event to this remarkable historic city. Interesting. You mentioned uh, Willie K. Vanderbilt, and he was kind of the the originator of the road races because I get apparently, from what I understand, reading up on him a little bit, is he went to Europe and saw the races over there in Europe. And he thought, well, we can do this in the United States. So basically, if my story is correct or my understanding is correct, that's one of the reasons why it actually originated in, 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 in Newport, Rhode Island, uh, the original Vanderbilt Cup. And so having said that, you know, like you said, the automobile industry. And then the other thing that people don't realize, and you can probably, probably expound on this, is that at the turn of the century, when the automobile industry was still in its infancy, the New York, Pennsylvania, and New England area – was really kind of where a lot of automobile manufacturing started, correct? Yes, indeed. Uh, people don't often think of the fact that uh, there were automobiles uh, built in uh, in New England, but there were quite a few. And uh, even, of course, uh, Rhode Island has the uh, locomobile to call its own. And uh, rather, sorry, the Alco. And then there's the locomobile. There's the Pope Hartford. There were a lot of, of manufacturers here in uh, this area. And, of course, as you might imagine, because early automobiling was something that was for the wealthy, um, this concentration of wealth here in Newport also helped 
to uh, make it an automobilist's paradise fairly early on. And you mentioned uh, Willie Kay going to Europe and uh, seeing the racing and wanting to bring it back home for himself and his friends. Uh, one of the things that uh, is a very important part of the Audrain collections is the uh, 1907 Renault uh, 3545 Type AI, which is actually here currently on exhibition in our uh, gallery, which was uh, purchased by Willie Kay. He went to uh, Europe, saw the 1906 Renault cars in uh, racing, and said, wow, those are fantastic. We need to get some of those. And so he went to Renault and said, I will give you an order for 10 cars because I and my friends want these cars to go racing in the U.S. And so Renault says, hey, that's a great deal. They built the car. And uh, we have the one that uh, Willie K. took delivery of uh, right here in the museum gallery right now as we speak. Interesting. Um, the To digress, the Thomas Flyer that won, I believe, the great race. What Or was it one mm. of the Vanderbilt races? Was that, what, 1906, 1907, somewhere around in there as well? Oh, the, the Thomas Flyer uh, won the um, Picking the Paris. Picking, okay, that's what it was. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Which is an extraordinary thing. Again, you know, one of the things that's just so uh, amazing, and which actually makes the first circuit race um, in, Cran in Cranston so uh, important, is the fact that the early races were almost all city-to-city -city races. There were these uh, absolute marathons where people did extraordinary things. And uh, the manufacturers were all out to prove the durability and 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 reliability of their cars. So um, at a time when cars were thought of as a plaything that you might take a 20 or 30 minute ride in around town or around the city, the idea that you could drive it for hours at a time and go uh, hundreds of miles, you know, said this is actually a real thing, <laughs> and uh, and you should. Uh, you should really embrace this as, as the coming technology, the thing that's going to change your life. Um, again, not to get too far afield from the uh, Audrain Newport Concord Motor Week, which is coming up uh, this week from the 28th through the 1st of October. Um, we also here at the Audrain uh, celebrate early motoring with another event, which we uh, hold in the spring. The last weekend of April will be our third, next year will be our third Audrain Newport Bristol Newport Veteran Car Tour which is a 50-mile tour from Newport in front of the Audrain Alvaville Museum up to historic Bristol, Rhode Island, and back in 1908 and older cars. Oh, and wow. that's quite an amazing thing. Interesting, interesting. All right, so give us the rundown on the museum. How many cars are on display at all times, or does it rotate? We have a rotating exhibition. Uh, we have a small gallery. It fits anywhere between 18 and 20 cars, okay. uh, depending on the, on the vehicles. And uh, we change exhibitions four times a year. So uh, a very good number of cars and motorcycles as well come through the gallery. Uh, they come from a collection of a total of 400 cars and about 70 motorcycles, uh, in addition to cars which we occasionally borrow from friends, uh, other institutions, uh, collectors from around the country and around the world to tell a specific story that we're telling in these individually curated exhibitions. Uh, the exhibition that's on right now in the museum is called Stars of 30 Audrain Exhibitions. Since the museum opened in October 2014, there have been 30 distinct curated exhibitions held, and this exhibition has highlights from those 30 exhibitions, uh, 18 cars that we think really tell the story best, of the best of those exhibitions and what they represented. And uh, it also helps to showcase what the Audrain is all about. 
because the breadth of the collections is outstanding. They go from an 1886 Benz Potten Motorwagen, an 1899 Crouch steam car, through to a 2023 uh, Corvette uh, Z06 or a uh, Porsche 911 Dakar. So we can tell the entire story of the history of the automobile and, more importantly, put it into the context of society. What it meant to the people who built the car, what it meant to the people who uh, bought the cars, used the cars, um, what it meant on an emotional basis when people got to know these cars, grow up with them. And uh, one of the things which is very important to us in fulfilling our mission of preserving, celebrating, and sharing automotive history is the fact that all of the cars in the collection are driven. We have a very, very, very successful uh, YouTube channel called the Aldrain Museum Network in which we post two new videos every week, and uh, many of those are driving videos. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just shot two driving videos this morning uh, with my friend Jay, uh, and uh, those will be up on the, uh, the, the network soon. Um, and it's, it's something to prove to people that while it's wonderful to see the cars in our gallery, you can also, when you look at the cars in the gallery, um, scan a QR code and go to a video of the car on the road. You get to experience it up close and personal as well as to get to experience what it's like while it's being used as the makers intended. And that's something that's very special, uh, I think, and again, sets us apart from a lot of other uh, museum settings. Uh, so this, this exhibition is, is really quite a lot of fun, and certainly for the, for the team here has been terrific in sort of taking us back to, oh, yeah, I remember that exhibition, and I remember that. Um, and we, we are able to show so many vehicles in such a wide variety of contexts. I think it's really, really special. These um, these exhibits that you have that you rotate, let's say four times a year. So you basically create a theme. Do you re this theme is does this is this something that you originate with your team, or do you kind of like reciprocate with other museums and kind of share vehicles? Does the team does the theme travel? Um, how does that work? Well, uh, all of our exhibitions are originated here. Okay. Um, we have begun to do some collaborations, which we're very excited about. Uh, with some other uh, institutions, mostly here uh, in Newport, but also in the area. Uh, we recently had a show, for instance, uh, called Women Take the Wheel. It's a terrific show, uh, which we did uh, two years ago now. Wow. Um, it's our May through August exhibition, and it was a collaboration with the Newport Historical Society. They had been given a long-term loan of dresses of the Vanderbilt women Ooh. dating from the 1880s through 1945. And they did an exhibition in their gallery of the 19th century dresses. We took a selection of the 20th century dresses and paired them with motor vehicles. And we showed the story of how the automobiles changed women's fashions and, frankly, liberated women in a way that had not been imaginable before. Because you think about this, the fashions of the 1880s, you could not wear to sit in a car, much less drive a car. And so it really changed the way women lived. And then by the 1920s, women were changing the way cars looked because once a car was established as more than just a utilitarian vehicle, it was dependable, it was practical, um, and affordable for the first time by the 1920s, you had to find another reason to buy a car, and that was fashion. And so styling came into um, important view. So it was the effect of, of Cars on Women and Women on Cars is a very successful exhibition and very, very um, well-received. Uh, we did an exhibition um, this spring 
called Wonders in Wood on Land and by Sea, where we collaborated with the Harrishoff Marine Museum in Bristol, Connecticut, and with the um, Mystic Seaport Museum. Uh, and we had wood cars and wooden boats in the gallery. So that was <laughs> very exciting, very interesting. Um, but uh, and we also did, uh, four years ago now, um, the exhibition that was on was one of the first that I was involved in helping to curate, we had an exhibition on GM design, uh, for which the GM uh, Heritage Collection loaned us 14 of their cars, some of the most iconic GM concept cars um, ever. And they were here in the gallery, along with uh, loans from a couple of private collectors who have very special GM cars. And that was extraordinary. And for this anniversary exhibition, which is on right now, in fact, um, GM sent back the 1938 Y-Job, the very first concept car. So that's here in the gallery right now as I speak below my feet. And uh, we've done exhibitions, uh, including uh, one on two-wheeled vehicles called uh, Balance and Power, The World on Two Wheels, 1885 to 1985. And we start with bicycles, go through the first powered bicycles, early motorcycles through to 1990s high-performance motorcycles. And so the variety that we present is absolutely amazing. What about seminars and uh, or symposiums? Um, how how do they tie in, and do they uh, they work with your within your your um, the Audrain um, Car Week? It's a very 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 important part of it indeed, and uh, we have um, a great seminar series with some astonishing uh, presenters. Uh, we've got uh, a, a what one which uh, I'm really looking forward to. Um, one called Cars and Guitars, a match made in Motown. Uh, Perry Margalef, who's one of the leading music producers uh, in the country and indeed uh, in the world, uh, has a passion for both uh, guitars, which he collects and occasionally sells, and cars. He's a great enthusiast, uh, everything from uh, Myers Manx to vintage Bentleys. And uh, he's put together a really great program uh, detailing how the fascination of the design and functionality of guitars has really resonated with musicians and, and with car enthusiasts alike. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we've got um, a great back, sort of back-of-the-house uh, presentation by two of the leading uh, design heads in the world today, uh, Michael Simcoe, the VP of Global Design for General Motors, and Ralph Gilles, the head of design for Stellantis, are going to talk about moments in design. What were they thinking? They're going to give their 10 favorite designs and some designs that they think were really unfortunate. So, you know, <laughs> oftentimes you don't get to hear folks like that, you know, give their unvarnished opinions. But that's one of the things that we really encourage here. Um, of course, uh, we've got uh, our great friend uh, uh, Bill Warner uh, coming back, and he's going to do a seminar with Doug Tabbitt about the Cannonball Run. Of course, Bill Warner was there for the original Cannonball Run, and uh, Doug Tabbitt is the current Cannonball Run record holder. So uh, that should be very exciting. Um, we've got Robert Herjavec uh, of, of uh, Shark Tank coming to have a chat with his friend Jay Leno entitled Car Sharks, because a lot of people don't know that Robert is also a car enthusiast. Uh, so that should be interesting. Um, Jay and I are going to do a couple of seminars as well, and we always have a lot of fun uh, chatting with each other. We're going to talk about contemporary coach building as well with Chip Foose, 
So that's going to be great um, because, you know, for those people who don't think that uh, contemporary coach building exists today, they, they aren't paying attention at all. Uh, so, you know, we've got a lot of uh, terrific things, and that's just a sampling of our seminar program that runs Thursday through Saturday at our Concord Village, which is the International Hall of Fame, International Tennis Hall of Fame, rather, uh, which is in a beautiful, again, historic, we're in Newport, the Kim Mead and White uh, structure, the Newport Casino. It's an amazing, amazing place. And uh, so we have that. We've got uh, an event called The Gathering, which is a automotive lifestyle event where there'll be a number of uh, new product reveals. Rolls-Royce is revealing here in North America uh, their new electric car, the Spectre. They're a big electric luxury coupe. Um, and we're having an unveiling of a new McLaren model. And uh, this is held at uh, Rough Point, the great seafront mansion of Doris Duke, the heiress. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, and we have, of course, our Cars and Coffee series, the Audrain Cars and Coffee series. It's absolutely amazing. We run it here um, from April through November at a variety of spots all around the uh, Newport area. And uh, this weekend is our biggest yet at Fort Adams. Uh, State Park, right on the harbor, and we're expecting somewhere around 800 cars to show up, which will be a great fun thing. And also on Saturday, we have a Concours tour. So many of the cars that are registered for the Concours d'Elegance on Sunday will take a 50-mile tour uh, from Newport through the area and then back to Newport where we close down Bellevue Avenue in front of the museum and in front of the International Tennis Hall of Fame where the cars are parked while the drivers have lunch so people get to admire all the cars out in the street. And that's the great highlight of the week. And then, of course, we cap things off with the Concord Elegance at the Vanderbilt Mansion, the Breakers, on uh, Sunday. Tell us a little bit about that. What pe- what can people expect? I mean, you know, we're talking the Breakers, the Vanderbilt Mansion. I mean, that sounds pretty <laughs> exciting just in itself. And the view, the view. I've been there before. The view is outstanding. It's absolutely amazing, Robert. We've got 180 cars in 22 classes. Uh, plus a special display class to honor Giotto Bizzarini, who passed away uh, this year, with um, a Bizzarini uh, 5300 Strada from our collection on display, as well as the new Bizzarini that has just been uh, introduced by a new company. And uh, so that's going to be very exciting. We have also on the Concours field um, two classes honoring the anniversary of MG. We've got a great class called Little Gems, which are Italian custom-bodied cars of one liter and under. Uh, We've got, of course, a great uh, Ferrari class as ever. We've got wonderful um, veteran car classes, uh, American and European cars through the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 60s, um, and uh, into the early 70s. And probably one of the most exciting things that we pioneered here at the Audrain Newport Concord d'Elegance is our 30 under 30 class. This year we've got three 30 under 30 classes. These are classes for owners 30 years old and younger who have $30,000 or less invested in their cars. And we always wanted to give, this is the idea of, of Jay Leno's, and we always wanted to give young enthusiasts an on-ramp access to events. And this, we think, is one of the most important ways to do that because they are a part of the Concours field. They are judged in the same way as the other cars in the Concours. They are theoretically the winners of any of the 30 and 30 classes are eligible to be considered for best in show. And they get a chance to 
be a part of the big party. They don't have to sit at the kids' table. And they find it thrilling the, uh, to be on the field, same field with Duesenbergs and Ferraris and Bugattis. And the owners of the other cars, the more experienced um, collectors who've been showing for a while, are also thrilled because they see young people. So many people that you run into, I'm sure this happens to you all the time, Robert, as it does to me, people say, oh, what's going to happen to our beloved hobby? No kids are interested in this. It's going to die. It's nonsense. There are lots of young people who are passionate about cars, and I think this is going to live for a very long time, and I think have a very strong influence as well on what we see in new cars, because there are still people passionate and emotional about cars. And that's one of the things that we hope to really inspire and engender with our 30 to 30 class. Well, with organizations like the McPherson College, you know, Haggerty's working real hard with their uh, Young Drivers program. I know there's some programs going on in Europe. I think we had uh, uh, Jeff Mason on our show here a while back. He's with the Piston Club. You know, you've got the RPM Foundation. There's a lot of, lot of organizations pushing to get the younger generation in, into cars. And, of course, what you do is really interesting there. Now, the 30 under 30 and then 30,000, are these cars that they basically have found and fixed up, or are these cars that they bought and they just relish? I mean, what, is, what, is the, what are the parameters? <laughs> it depends. I mean, it's, it's no different than uh, the collecting that you or I do. Okay. Uh, we can find a car that's a project, and we can, we can bring it back. Um, we can find a car that is very well-preserved and continues to preserve it. We can inherit a car from our family. Uh, it depends. The stories are, are widely varied, and, of course, the cars also range in quite uh, a, a wide uh, way because you have, as a lot of people might expect, you know, 1980s BMWs and, and uh, things like that. But you also have um, veteran cars. Uh, last year, I think we had a 1911 Franklin that, was, that one of the entrants had. So it depends on what their point of view is. Um, where their point of entry is. Uh, one of the things that uh, is so interesting about this is that it also helps to show all of us that collecting constantly evolves. Uh, one of the things that, that we discovered um, two years ago, we, had, uh, we were looking at the 30 to 30 entries, and we realized, looking at the entries, that we had a bunch of Porsche 944s. So we made a special class of Porsche 944s in the 30 to 30. And it was a really interesting thing for me, because I'm 60. When the 944 was new, I ordered one. I canceled my order and I ended up buying a Scirocco instead for a variety of reasons. But I find it fascinating that the Porsche 944 is now old enough for it to have entered the collecting mainstream because of its attributes. Uh, you and I are appraisers. We understand what attributes of value mean to interest in the collector car market. And this is a car that is as appealing to a 60-year-old as it is to a 25-year-old. And that obviously proves what a collectible is. And it also proves how we are united in the collecting field. It's not something that, oh, you like 57 Chevys, so therefore I only like, you know, 1990s Hondas, so obviously we have nothing in common, nothing to talk about. It's not true at all. It's, it's all a very open field, and it's what the 30 and the 30 class allows us to do is also see how people collect, what is important to these young collectors. Um, it might not be the same thing that's important to you or me, but we get to see how collecting also evolved. When you were 30 years old, there were cars that you loved. There are now cars that you love a little more than you did when you were 30 because you know more about cars. You've been exposed to more. 
So, you know, that's the thing that, that's also very exciting to see, the range and the growth, just to see these young collectors interact among each other about what really turns them on and, and, and what uh, makes them excited about a car. It's great. Have you kind of like taken like a, a, a survey of like a consensus, like take an average, what, where do these people, how are these people's interests develop? Is it these kids? Is it because somebody in their family had one? Is it friends? Is it something they read? Is it school? Is it YouTube? Is it, you know, what, what seems to be like the common uh, factor there that kind of gets these people interested, particularly more along the lines of vintage cars? What, what, what have you seen? Well, I, I can say without a doubt, we have not done any sort of formal survey. Okay. We've chatted with people, and what we have found is what is true for me in my life. Most people think, well, people who grow up with cars become car enthusiasts, which may be the case. I didn't grow up with cars. My family didn't have their first car until I was 12 years old. So that wasn't a part of my growing up. I didn't uh, find and build cars with my father or anything like that. So there are uh, young people who have been involved in this in our 30 and 30 class who were the ones who brought their parents into the car scene. Um, And that's also very interesting to see. Um, And then there, of course, are the more traditional routes where, you know, a father learned from his father and now he's bringing his son or daughter in. And uh, so we see that as well. And also it becomes a very much a, um, a family uh, a family affair where you might have multiple generations uh, where their car was in a, in a family and handed down. And so therefore the older generation is very happy that uh, the younger enthusiast has taken an interest in this car and perhaps, you know, taken grandpa's car that's been sitting in the garage for 20 years and saying, well, I want to fix that up. I want to get it back on the road. I want to share it with people. And, you know, that's a wonderful thing. One of the other things, actually, that leads me to another point about our event is that, yes, we are a Concorde d'Elegance, but it is not a, uh, a show of how much money you can spend on your car or how necessarily shiny your car is. Yes, our judges, who are very experienced and come from around the world, look for authenticity, they look for presence, they look for condition, but they also want to know the story of the car and how connected the owner of the car is with the car. If you have two equal cars that are equally shiny, equally correct, the one with a better story is the one that's going to win the prize here because we're about the people as well. Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that because, like, I know, you know, even when I do my appraisals and I, and I deal with some of these classic and antique cars, I tend to reference that. And I said, you know, the, the connection between the owner and the car is very, very significant, and it does have value. Case in point, an original one-owner car versus a car that's been sold and bought and sold, you know, 10, 15 times and becomes a commodity. That original car had soul. (laughs) Unfortunately, the second car, the one that's been bought and sold five or 10 times, also has a soul, but it doesn't have a connection. And and it's almost like you feel sorry for the poor little car, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And and I I said to people often, you know, especially when it comes to – some of the the competition, uh, whether it be Concours, whether it be vintage racing, no matter what it is, you know, if you're an enthusiast, you love the car, you love it for what the car is and what it does for you. That it can win a trophy is nice, but it's not the definitive point of a car. 
And so I have often said that there are people who are um, trophy collectors. And trophy collecting is a wonderful thing. And um, if you uh, wanted to uh, collect trophies, there are beautiful antique trophies out there. You can buy them all and build a wonderful room for your house, put wonderful mahogany shelves with beautiful lighting, and display them. But if you just want to spend fifty, a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on restoring a car to win a five hundred dollar trophy, and then get angry with the car, the car doesn't win. I think that's sort of silly. You know, why involve a poor innocent car uh, <laughs> in your uh, search for for trophies? So you take the same position I do. It's like a car has feelings. You, contrary to what people think, I jokingly say I'm the car whisperer because when I get near a car, it just kind of like talks to me. But where I'm going with this too is since you brought up the thing about trophies, why don't you expound on this? And we have yet to have anybody do this, but you're the perfect person. Talk a little bit about when a car competes in a concourse, whether it's Amelia, whether it's Newport or, or the Audrain, or whether it's Pebble or whether it's St. John's Meadowbrook or whatever it's called these days. Um, Tell us about, or Villa d'Este, tell us about the provenance and how that affects the value of the car, and why do people do it? <laughs> well, people do it for a variety of reasons. I like to think that the best of the reasons to do it is that you want to share the car with the public. Owning a car is a wonderful thing. Sharing the car is an even better thing. So these shows give the public an opportunity to see some extraordinary cars that you would not ordinarily have the opportunity to see. Um, people ask me um, often, you know, why do I go to the Pebble Beach Concours if I'm not showing a car myself, helping someone show a car? Um, and, and I say it's, it's basically the same reason. Uh, first, there are three reasons. Uh, one, it's our business. So it's, it's my international trade show. The second is that I see people there that often I only ever see once a year. The third and most important reason for me is that Every time I go, I see a car which I've never seen before, I've only ever seen as a little black and white grainy photograph in a book or a magazine. And it renews my enthusiasm. I feel like that eight-year-old boy just discovering cars again for the first time. And so in terms of the provenance of a car, the provenance of a car and its concord history is a sword which cuts two ways. Um, winning a top prize at a major international concourse certainly says to uh, people that a car is of high quality, that that quality has been recognized, acknowledged, and rewarded uh, in an international stage. However, depending on why an owner wants to own a car, it can be a detriment because if his or her primary enjoyment is in taking cars to Concours events and showing them, if it's been to all the top Concours events in the world, well, what do you do now? And so you will often find collectors who like the process of restoring a car, but then want to pass it on and go on to their next project, might, in order to help maximize the value, show the car once at a high-level show and then leave all the other international uh, shows sort of on the table for the next owner to enjoy. But it's rare that if a car goes the entire international and national round of shows and wins top awards at all the shows, then you get to a point of diminishing returns. Yes, it's acknowledged that it's a very good car, but 
then it has to be driven. So it's the point then that you take a car which has been acknowledged for being perfect and then drive it. I personally have no problem with driving perfect cars because once a car has been restored, what can you do to a car except maintain it? And if you get a stone chip in it, you repaint it. <laughs> so it's been painted once already. So there's, there's no 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 problem with that. So um, that that is my experience with uh, the aspect of uh, provenance and uh, and as an attribute of value. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because when uh, Jay, your landlord, obviously our, our good mutual friend, mm -hmm. who comes on a regular basis, we had this discussion. He has a Mercedes 300 SEL 6.3 that has 325,000 mm -hmm. miles on it. He drives that car right. on a regular basis. He has often said on this show that, well, you know, these guys that have 950 miles on their F40 or their, you know, wow. their GT3 or something like that. What is the point? The whole idea is to own this car and drive the car. So case in point, let's just say, for example, bring a trailer. So I was looking for an 86911. An 86911 with 19,000 miles sold for $120, almost $140,000. By contrast, one that had 80,000 or 100,000 sold for 50, 60, 70, which is basically the market. So where I'm going with this, and I... And I, and I try to explain this to people, that if you have this low, low, low mileage car, it's it has value to somebody possibly as a potential collector. But as soon as you start driving that car, unless you bought it because you wanted the low mileage car, which very often have maintenance issues because they have this deferred maintenance problem, but then you drive the value out of the car. So your $140,000 86911 with 19,000 miles, by the time it gets 50,000 miles on it, it's worth 50, 60 grand. What's the point? Buy the $50,000 or the 80,000-mile car, drive the wheels off it. Like, I actually tried to buy one that had 425,000 miles on it. It was gone through, but I wanted it because I want to put another mm -hmm. 425,000 miles. That's my take. Tell me yours. <laughs> Precisely. No, uh, I, I agree with you 100%. I've often said to people that if you have a choice of two cars, two 10-year-old cars, one of which has a thousand or fifteen hundred miles on it, the other has eighty thousand miles on it, and every service record from you. I know which one I'm going to take. Um, and it's also, you know, sort of one of the great ironies. Um, there are the people who worship the, the cult of the undriven car, um, or oh. the od odometer fetishist. I, I, um, I like that. I like that. That's good. Go ahead. That's a good <laughs> and 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 understanding that the glory of a car is in what the makers intended it to do. And the undriven car, of course, requires twice the maintenance of a driven car because at a certain point in its history, it's going to have to be driven. Correct. And cars deteriorate just sitting. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not like a painting you hang on your wall or a stock certificate you put in a drawer. And so the idea that, well, I'm not driving it, so therefore I don't have to replace the tires, and I don't have to replace all of the, uh, the rubber parts, and I don't have to replace all this is nonsense. Um, I was just actually driving a car uh, the other day, uh, a um, fairly new um, Lamborghini, and the car had 211 miles on it, and the service-needed light was on. So I thought, okay. Now, this person who owns this car not realized that simply because she wasn't driving the car, that it didn't need to be maintained. <laughs> Another example is I was recently on uh, an appraisal job, and I was appraising a group of, uh, of 
fairly new uh, Camaros. And none of them had been driven for quite a while. And I got into them and turned the key to check the mileage. And I was given a warning because the um, the electronic systems all need to be cycled. So they asked me to put the left window down, put it back up, the right window down, put it back up. It had to cycle through all this stuff. The complexity of modern cars especially, they do not like to be left parked. There's too many electronics in them. They are too battery dependent, and it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, the ultimate was that, uh, I know you remember this, a few years ago uh, when they sold that uh, uh, Porsche 911 that was still in Cosmoline. I thought, wow, what's huh. the point of this? <sighs> well, that's 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 my point. I mean, and, and so, you know, how do you get that to, across to people? But just like you said, I like the way you labeled it. It's kind of like the, the low mileage cult group you know the low odometer cult yeah. people and and really that there's a th- there there are people that, that that pride themselves on it i mean and and because of that and because of sites like bring a trailer it's a very difficult to sell you know high mileage cars because some because it's still everything's perceived as a collector car it's not perceived as you know like i like mid 80s 911s because i think they're great driving cars i had them back in the day i still drive them to this day and the mileage is irrelevant, and you and you still have to fix them. And uh, but it could be the same could be for a for a 2004 excursion diesel four wheel drive, which I have one of those, which I it's mm-hmm. got 325 thousand miles on it. I will keep it till it dies. But just like you mentioned, these new cars with the complexity of them, with all the computers, with all the stuff that's going on. I mean, if you let them sit for a week, the battery goes dead because that's the, right. All the stuff's on, and and people don't understand that. And like you said, it's just uh, it's it's a different world now with these with these new cars, and 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 they're very complicated, and the average guy can't fix them. That's right. So I wanted it to is, ask. It is it is absolutely amazing. So uh, real quick, we got a few minutes left. Villa d'Este, I that's mm-hmm. is that one of your favorite places to go on the planet as far as car uh, car concourses? It is. <laughs> Villa d'Este is an amazing place. Um, again, much as I mentioned about Pebble Beach. It's the extraordinary cars of Villa d'Este, and it's also a very small show, so you actually get to see the entire thing, which you don't often get to I certainly never get to do at, at uh, Bell Beach anymore. Um, isn't the setting it the, is spectacular. Isn't it the uh, oldest concourse on the planet, technically? Technically, but it's not continuous. Okay. Because it stopped for a while and was revived. Okay. So, yes, yeah, technically speaking, uh, it is. But uh, it doesn't have the continuous history um, is that it, uh, Pebble it, Beach has, or, or or an event like that. But um, is it what, Switzerland what or love, Italy? I'm sorry. Is it it's Switzerland? In it's in Italy. Okay. It's, it's in Italy. It's, it's it's 20 minutes from Switzerland. Okay. But <laughs> it's like Lake yeah, Lugano, right? Northern Italy, you can go. Uh, it, it's actually on Lake Como. Oh, Como. Okay. Um, but uh, it's it, it's very 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 close uh, to Lugano. And at the top of Lake Como is the uh, Swiss town of Ancona, um, which is actually where that uh, that uh, Bugatti was put in the lake that, that ends up in the Mullen collection. And right. R.I.P. Peter Mullen, a great guy. Um, but the um, Villa d'Este, what is so wonderful about it is the setting is amazing. The cars are very, very special. And it has something which very few events have. And I won't compare our event to, to Villa d'Este. But it does have one aspect of it, which is the fact that the Saturday at Villa d'Este is a very, very small and very exclusive uh, event just for the entrance, their guests, and people that pay 
a thirty-four hundred dollar, thirty-four hundred euro rather ticket to uh, to attend. Then on Sunday they go two miles, a mile and a half down the lake to Villa Adaba, and they have a public day where the tickets are fifteen or twenty euro, and families come and make a picnic and 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 they see the same cars that we saw up at Villa Veste. Uh, for a fraction of the cost, and it's just something that's just shared by everybody because the enthusiasm of the Italians for cars is just amazing at all ages, from you know, from 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 five to 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 ninety five, and it's just it's just extraordinary for that just for that energy, and for the beauty of, of the of the locations, it's just extraordinary, extraordinary place. As you travel around to all these concourses around the country, and do you does do you get ideas of little things that you'd like to incorporate into the Audrain concourse that you think would make it? Because the goal is obviously is to make it very unique always. and very special. Always, always, and I think that um, you know there are great ideas. Anyone who doesn't um, look for ideas whenever they're uh, going anywhere is somebody who's obviously stopped stopped breathing. Um, so I'd say that first and foremost. Second, um, I think that one of the most important things for me is to look to see what suits our event and, and what works in other events and what may not work in, uh, in, uh, in our event. Um, as I said, you know, the, the combination of the, the setting that we have here in Newport I think is is really 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 special, and the people, the enthusiasm of our local uh, automotive community is also something which which cannot be underestimated. Um, so, you know, we have something that is very um, very unique because it's not just. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll sum it up this way. When people who are very concerned about what's going on with the collector car world right now and the, the future of it are people who have not been to a lot of cars and coffee events. What the cars and coffee events, the, the, the outgrowth of them has done is to make sharing classic cars easier than ever and more convenient than ever. It has also, frankly, put a lot of strain on the old traditional model of a one-day Concours d'Elegance at a golf course um, or in a high school parking lot where people come and sit behind your car in a, in a lawn chair for a day. So that's difficult. They'd rather go to a Cars and Coffee, basically be uh, obligated for a few hours, and uh, then go back home or go for a drive with their friends, have lunch. Or they want to go to something which is an event, um, a destination, whether it be the Monterey Week, Villa Veste, or the four days of the Audrey Newport Concours and Motor Week, where there are multiple events to be experienced, all types of events so that various interests can be satisfied, and in a place where you want to do other things. I mean, if you ever get tired of the car part of the day, there's Newport. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. So, you know, that's, uh, it, it's just something that's very, very special. Donald. People, if they want to find out more about this, give us just a quick rundown, website, costs a little bit. Absolutely. You can go to audrainconcour.com, 
and it has the entire schedule of the week, and you can buy your tickets there. A number of our seminars, as I mentioned before, are already sold out, so if you're going to come to Newport um, this weekend, definitely go and buy your tickets right now. Uh, we have events from Thursday, the 28th, through Sunday, the 1st of, uh, of October. And uh, we would love to see you here. We've got lots of paid events and lots of free events as well. So come to Newport. Super. Well, Donald, I know you're busy. You got a lot of stuff you got to do. You got more videos, more voiceovers, more uh, more meetings to go to. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you this weekend. And again, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Uh, Donald Osborne, my good friend, historian, collector, author, CEO of the Audrain Group, the Audrain Concours, and Collector Car Week, or motor, Motoring Week, right? I got it right that time? Audrain, Newport, Concours, and Motor Week. There you, you got go. Really close, Rob. Really, <laughs> really? Close. <laughs> a little pra- practice makes perfect. Donald, you have a great time. And again, thank you very much. And uh, look forward to thank seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. I want to thank my special guest, Donald Osborne, for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars so we get to check out the Audrain Concourse and Motor Week. I think I said it right that time. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, check out some of the car shows. Big shout-out to my good friends over there at Fast Lane Travel. If you want to take a European driving tour, maybe even go to Veladeste. Check out FastLaneTravel.com. In the meantime, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. Stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Dirty.